Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen to today's message from God's Word. chapter number 10 this evening. If I can give you something from the Word of God that will be a blessing to you, I will have done my part in discharging my place in the service today. And uh, let me just uh, slow down once again to say that it's been an honor to stand before you three times, once in Sunday school, once in the 10, uh, 11 o'clock hour, and now in the 6 o'clock hour, it is a privilege to stand here in this pulpit. And uh, we're here for you, and we pray for you. We're pulling for you. Amen. Mark chapter number 10. Read with me verse number 17 through verse number 27. And while you find your place to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through verse number 27, let me preface the message tonight by saying that many, if not most of us in this auditorium tonight, have one thing that is holding us back. Not ten things, not five things. Sometimes we could say not even two things, but generally one thing that comes to our mind during a message that we feel like if, if we could get rid of that in our lives, we could take incredible, tremendous strides for the glory of God. I believe with all of my heart in the preaching of this passage that we have before us tonight that I trust that the Holy Spirit will put His finger on the one thing that's in your life. It'd be impossible for me to give you a list of everything that's wrong in our lives. My list would be more than you want to hear, and I would not want to hear your list as well. But if we could all, by collection, corporately tonight, if we could all agree to deal with our one thing tonight, not ten, not five, just one thing, if we could all agree to deal with one thing tonight, my, what a difference it would make in our church. Truth be told... There are dozens in this auditorium that wish they could go back and change one thing. Maybe you could go back to your teenage years or your early marriage years or some, at some point during your early career or where you got your education. You could go back and you could change one thing that you did and you know that if we could dismiss that one thing out of our lives, the story of our lives would be so much greater. I'm reminded of David, who at the end of his life, the Bible said he fulfilled all of the will of God with the exception of one passage in 2 Samuel where it said, except in the matter of Bathsheba. Except in the matter of Bathsheba. If David could go back and change that Bathsheba situation, imagine how much more glory he could have given to God without that one thing. Others in this auditorium would stand tonight and testify to the truth, to the fact that you made a decision about one thing early on in your life and that one decision that was right, that one decision that was for the glory of God has saved you scores of other mistakes because you made that one decision. Aren't you, all, aren't you men all glad of who you married tonight? It saved us from a whole lot of that. Well, I, for the three or four of you that are glad for who you married tonight, amen, I feel the same way. Uh, marrying Rebecca Bailey has saved me from a whole lot of heartache, and we thank God for good decisions that we have made. But what about the one thing that you need to change? Mark chapter 10 tells us about such an individual. 
There's a young man whose story is recorded in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark that had one thing that kept him from loving God, one thing that kept him from glorifying God, one thing that kept him from serving Jesus with all of his heart, from giving it all, and ultimately his one thing kept him out of the kingdom of God. Let's read his story. Mark 10, 17 through 27. The Word of God says in Mark 10, 17, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled down to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth up. Now watch verse number 21 very carefully. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, look at what your Bible says, one thing thou lackest, not ten, not five, one. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And the Bible says in verse number 22, And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier. Notice what the Lord said. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And I love the final word of verse number 27. Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible. Get me an amen ready right here. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. The final word on your one thing tonight is, if you'll give it to God, it's possible to get rid of it. I want to talk to you tonight about the one thing. There are several factors that rise out of this passage of Scripture that we have read tonight that have proven to be a point of tremendous confusion for many, many years. The rich young ruler was really confused about two realities that Jesus spoke to him about. Here they are. I'll give them to you by way of introduction. It'll be a very brief introduction. Number one, he was confused about what it meant to be good. And number two, he was confused about what it means to have eternal life. He confused goodness with eternal life. He thought that you could be good enough to inherit eternal life. In fact, he listed a whole bunch of things that he was doing in hopes that that would be enough good for him to, for his good to outweigh his bad and that he could enter into the kingdom of heaven because he was good. But you remember what Jesus said to him. I like this, Brother Mike. Jesus said to him, let me make one thing very clear for you and I'd like to make this clear for you tonight. There's none good. Matter of fact, everybody's bad. You're bad. 
I'm bad. My parents were bad. My children were bad. You're bad. I'm bad. We all have bad. Not all of us are as bad as we potentially could be. Some people are bad. Other people are really bad. And other people are extremely bad. But none of us are good. As a matter of fact, the Bible said there is none good, no, not one. If you think that you're good enough to get into the kingdom of heaven, you are eternally mistaken in your thoughts. None of us can be good enough to inherit eternal life. If you've made your way into the tabernacle tonight and your assumption is that if I go to church enough or if I'm baptized or if I take communion, if I tithe, if I get my name on a church roll somewhere, then that'll be enough good for me to inherit eternal life. You are mistaken in an eternally wrong way. We must never, ever be guilty. Listen, there's a lot of things that preachers can mess up, but we can't mess that up. If you're, listen, if you think that you can be good enough to get to heaven, you are making an eternally damning mistake. None of us can be good enough to get to heaven. If we took everyone in this congregation out onto the Pacific coast and we said jump from the Pacific coast all the way over to Hawaii, some of us would make it further than others, but none of us would make it to Hawaii. None of us are good enough to get to heaven. And Jesus settled that with this man. Now watch this. There's something beyond all of that that is very striking to me in this conversation between the sinner and Christ. Note the statement of verse number 21. Focus on this. Then Jesus, <clears throat> beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. You think that's in the Bible on purpose, Brother Wilbur? One thing? One? He didn't say ten things are wrong with you and quote the Ten Commandments to him. He didn't say five things are wrong and tell him what those things were wrong by a list. I'll tell you, we've got preachers been making lists forever. And I'm telling you, we've lived by that sword and we've died by that sword. It's not the list that is going to get people right with God. It's the one thing that's going to get people right with God. And I can promise you this, if we get our one thing right with God, that list would come along afterwards. But it's not the list that Jesus has in mind. It's one thing, just one. Now listen to me. Don't think about what's wrong with your neighbor. Don't think about what's wrong with that family sitting across the way. Don't think about what's wrong with a teenager in the church. You think about your one thing. And let's see what the Bible says about that tonight. What is the one thing in your life? What is the one thing that is standing in your way? The one thing hindering you from serving God. Did you notice with me, this is crucial. Did you notice with me that the one thing in his life was a sin of omission? Jesus said to him, one thing thou lackest. He didn't say it's what you're doing that was wrong. He said it's what you're not doing that's wrong. Are y'all getting anything out of this? He didn't say, I could put my finger on something I saw you do and that's what's wrong with you. He said, no, no, it's what you're not doing. And by the way, this man, Pastor Ward, was doing six things to cover up for the one thing he wasn't doing. Did you get that? Jesus began to quote the commandments to him. You know the commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, uh, thou shalt not bear faultless witness against thy neighbor, honor thy father and thy mother. He quoted six commandments to this young man. And this young man's testimony was, I've done that since I was young. 
He was doing six things to cover up for his one thing. He's a real good independent Baptist. He's got it all strung together in such a way that he looks really good on the outside. But there's one thing on the inside that was wrong. When you study the Ten Commandments, it's not hard to divide them. We watch what Hollywood says about the Ten Commandments and we get very confused about how they're divided, but the Bible is very clear. They're not divided five and five. If you think Charlton Heston was Moses, you might believe that they were divided five and five, but that's not the way they were divided. In fact, if you'll study the commandments, they're divided not five and five, but six and four. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. I'm not going to tell you everything there is to know about those first four. But if you do those first four commandments, then you can be right with the Lord. Honor, uh, he said, uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't have any other gods before me. Uh, All of those things will keep us right with God. The last six commandments have to do with our relationship to one another. And they're broken in that kind of division. The first four, then the last six. The last six have to do with my relationship to you. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, honor thy father and thy mother. That'll keep me right with you. Now watch this. Jesus quoted the last six to this man, and he said, I'm doing all of that, and I have been doing that from my youth up. You know what he said? Brother Greg, he said, I'm right with man, but I'm wrong with God. You remember when that lawyer came to Jesus? Boy, there's liberty enough to preach an hour and a half in here tonight. You remember when that lawyer came to Jesus and he said, what is the first and great commandments? You remember what Jesus said? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy mind. Luke adds, with all of thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. This is the first great commandment with a promise. And then Jesus said the second commandment, Second category is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Here it is, church. First four commandments, love the Lord with all of your heart. You love him with all of your heart, you won't break the first four commandments. You love your neighbor as yourself, you won't break any of the last six commandments. Amen. And you remember what Jesus said next? He said, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. In other words, if you love the Lord with all of your heart, you you don't have to worry about breaking any of those first four. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't have to worry about breaking any of those last six. Is this making sense to y'all? Jesus said, when it comes to what man sees about you, you look really good. But you got one thing. And your one thing is a breach in your relationship with me. I would say in the course of this message, not because I'm a probing preacher... Uh, not, because I, I, uh, not because I'm the kind that I ask you what your one thing is. I would never do that. Uh, there are people in this building that I pastored for a very long time. I never did that to any of those people and wouldn't do it today. But I would say in the course of this message, the Holy Spirit may put his finger on one thing in your life. What is your one thing? Three factors unfold in the story of the rich young ruler that help us to understand how we can get rid of our one thing. Here they are. They're very brief. Here they are. Very brief. Somebody said we're going to go eat some Mexican food after the service. I got Mexican on my mind. Let's think about that more. And let's think about eating tonight. I'll be brief in what I have to say because uh, I'm just hungry. That's the truth of the matter. Notice with me in verse number 21. 
The one thing, listen to this, the one thing can only be fixed by self-denial. Look at verse 21. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. This is not the only place that this story is recorded in the Gospels. There's another place that this story is recorded in the Gospels that it talks about denying yourself. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Self-denial is the elementary level education of getting rid of your one thing. You know why some of you can't get rid of that one thing that's bothering you right now? Self-denial. It demands self-denial. If it weren't, if it was easy, then all of us would just dismiss these things out of our lives with no effort whatsoever. But self-denial is a demand that must be met if we're going to get rid of our one thing. And verse number 21 talks about it in those terms. Make no mistake about it. This is a call to self-denial. If you're going to be what you need to be for the glory of God, you're going to have to learn the principles of self-denial. Self-denial. It is in, listen, it is an unbroken, unmitigated pattern throughout the Bible that those who follow the Savior must first follow Him in the steps of self-denial. The reason we can't get rid of our one thing is because we won't deny ourselves. By the way, if you want to know how God feels about your one thing, take a look at the cross. Take a look at Calvary. Take a look at the Son of God who is dying, naked, beaten, bruised, broken, bleeding for my sins and for your sins. That's how God feels about your one thing. Your one thing was enough for Jesus to die on a cross. If you're going to get rid of it tonight, it will demand Self-denial. By the way, someone might assume this, this is a little bit hateful, isn't it? Why, why would you? Well, the Bible says in verse number 21, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. He loved him. God loves you enough not to let you go on enjoying your one thing. He loves you. Amen. He lo- Amen. He loves you enough not to allow you to keep going, doing what you're doing. He loves you enough to chastise you. He loves you enough to give you discernment of your one thing. He loves you enough to send you a message that would remind you that if, again, it's not 10 things. Am I making sense tonight? I'm not talking about 10 things. I'm done with that kind of stuff. Trying to come into, they ain't no preacher can come into one service and get 10 things right in your life. It doesn't happen. It never has happened. But we can look at the one thing and watch the results of making one primary decision about your life to enter into the kingdom of God and follow him further and watch the following results of the one thing that you turn from. By the way, I remind you that verse number 22 is a sad ending. The Bible said he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. This man had riches. His one thing was his money. Now, I would assume that your one thing is not your money. I would assume that your one thing is different than his one thing. Your one thing may not be identified the same as my one thing. But this man's one thing was riches. 
And I'll tell you how strong his one thing was. Watch this, Brother Anderson. Look down at verse number 23. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Is that what your Bible said? Watch what he said in verse number 24. Children, how hard is it for them? Here it is. How hard is it for them that trust in riches? Oh, there it is. He trusted it. He trusted riches. Riches was the definition of who he was. The Bible tells us that we all have things like that, things that define our lives, things that make their way right to the core of every decision that we make. There are folks here tonight that are guilty of looking at your entire life through the lens of your one thing who you choose to marry, what career you choose to follow, the kind of money that you choose to make, all of that is looked at through the lens of your one thing. That's what this man's life was about. You want to get rid of that tonight? You'll only do it by self-denial. Secondly, the one thing can only be overcome by cross-bearing. Cross-bearing. Notice what Jesus said to this man down in verse number 21. Come. Take up the cross. Brother Josh, that's an old message. Much older than you and I, sir. Much older than the men that taught us what we know is the message of the cross. Century after century after century and millennia after millennia, the church has preached on the cross. The cross is the most important factor in all of our lives tonight. Had it not been for the cross, none of us would be where we are right now. Calvary changed my life. Calvary changed your life. And Jesus said after Calvary, there is a cross for all of us to bear. As a matter of fact, he said in the middle language of the Greek, he said we are to take up the cross. That means it's not forced upon us. Rather, it is embraced by us. You know why you can't get rid of your one thing tonight? Because it's been a while since you took up a cross. The people of Jesus' day knew very well what the cross meant. They understood the realities that the cross represented. It was the instrument of execution reserved for Rome's worst criminals. If you did something of a capital nature, it was a cross that you died on. Just a few years before Jesus came into Caesarea Philippi, 100 men had been crucified by the Romans for insurrection against, uh, against Pilate. One century earlier, Alexander Janes had crucified somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 Jewish rebels at Jerusalem in a three-month period. I don't have time to give you all the data tonight. It is estimated that in the 33-and-a-half-year lifespan of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is estimated that around 30,000 men were crucified on crosses just in Jerusalem. Just in Jerusalem. To walk into the city and see a man hanging on the cross was a common sight. To watch a man dying was not uncommon at all among those that lived in the days of Christ. With all of that in mind, you'll find out as you read the scriptures that the cross 
is much more than an earring. The cross is much more than a necklace. The cross is much more than something imposed upon your Bible. The cross is much more than a decal that you put on the back of your car. It is something that you take up daily. The Apostle Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is the crucified life that prepares us for the world to come. It is the crucified life that glorifies the Father who saved us. It is the crucified life that identifies us with the Son of God more than any other part of our lives. The cross. The reason why you can't get rid of your one thing is because getting rid of it demands that you bear a cross. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there is a cross for me. Some months ago, I was doing a study of the life of Amy Carmichael. You're familiar with the name. Irish missionary. She went to India. She spent 55 years on the mission field in India and never took a furlough. She wrote poetry that still moves the hearts of the Christian world. One of her poetry, one of her pieces of work in poetry was, Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or hand or side? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. But hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded and spent, leaned me against the tree to die, and I was rent by ravening beast, and that compassed me I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thy feet are whole. Can he have followed very far who has no wound and has no scar? The Apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he was saying was, if Jesus were still alive, they would pierce him. If Jesus was still alive, they would lacerate him. If Jesus was still alive, they would crucify him. If Jesus was still alive, they would beat him. But now that Jesus has died and risen from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, I bear the marks that they meant for the body of Jesus. Hast thou no scar? You know why we can throw our arms around our personal sins and hug them and embrace them and love personal sins like we do because we're not taking up a cross. You cannot, you cannot embrace the cross and your sins all at the same time. It's one or the other, my friend. What is your one thing? It can only be overcome by self-denial. It can only be overcome by taking up a cross. And then thirdly and lastly, the one thing can only be overcome by faithful following. Did you notice the ending of verse number 21? I need to shut the message down. Did you notice the ending of verse number 21? Very simply, he puts this in there, Brother Johnson. He says, and follow me. Just, just follow me. 
I'm afraid, preacher, we, we, we are living in a generation where people are so confused about so many things. Neighbor, listen to me. You don't think we're living in a confused generation? We got people don't even know which bathroom they're supposed to be going in right now. But the Bible makes following very simple. You just put one step in front of the other. You see where his foot has trod? You step in that place and you follow. You walk behind him. Where he has gone, you make a decision, I will go. If it means that I suffer as he suffered, the servant is not greater than the master. If it means that the world hates me, Jesus said, marvel not if the world hates you. It hated me before it hated you. You know why we have such a hard time embracing our one thing and saying, God, get this out of my life? It's because we do not follow as we should. The Bible tells us in, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 16, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. Are you listening? The greatest truths in the New Testament are illustrated simply as walking. Walking. I love this passage, Pastor Ward. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk. Did you hear that? He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk. He didn't say, I'm, I'm happy when I see my children fly. He didn't say, I'm happy when I see my children run. He said, I'm just as happy as I can be. I'm as happy as a coon in the cornfield with a hound dog's tied when I just see my children walking in the truth. You listening? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Thank God every now and again we get to fly. They shall run and not be weary. Thankfully, Brother Brandon, sometimes we get to run. But in the end of it all, the bottom common denominator is they shall walk. Brother Wilbur, I've only flown and ran a few times in my Christian life. Brother Greg, every day, every day I have to just, just walk. Walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in truth. John said, walk in the light. That means I commit my next step to a, a step of light and illumination, not darkness. That means that I commit my next step to walking toward the truth. I commit my next step to a step of love and truth and light and endurance and patience. I commit my steps to Him and you'll find yourself walking in the truth. One step at a time. What's keeping you from doing that? One thing. One thing. Walking in the truth. I want to point out something and I... There's so much more I could say. I want to point out something. You remember when Mary and Martha were in that uh, kerfuffle? <laughs> they were getting a bit irritated with one another. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 21 through 42, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. 
and Mary hath chosen that good part. Did you hear that? He said, Martha, you got a lot going on. Mary has chosen to give me that one thing. Don't hold that back from her. Brother Josh, I was reading the other day and I was smitten by the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Y'all got just about two more minutes, all right? Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. He said one thing, just one. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Brother Montgomery, I was reading that the other day and I realized what Paul's one thing was. It was his past. It was his past. He was guilty of killing Christians. He was guilty of persecuting the church of the living God. It haunted him throughout his ministry, what he did to the church when he was a lost man. And Paul said, one thing I have to do, I need to forget some things. There's some of you here tonight, you've been sitting on the pews, you've been sitting on the pews of this church discouraged, You've been sitting on the pews of this church not doing anything. You've been sitting on the pews of this church just coasting right through ministry. You hear message after message after message, and you don't think you can get involved in any of it because you have a past. Neighbor, listen to me. All of us have a past. All of us have things that if we could go back and we could change it, we would change it. You cannot unscramble the egg. One thing you're going to have to do, forget it. Forget it. You listening to me? Robert E. Lee, God bless his memory, amen. After the war was over with, went to the state of Kentucky to visit with a family that was a, a family of tremendous renown in his life when he was a general over the Confederate Army. Robert E. Lee walked onto the plantation of a family that he had known for decades. The woman who owned the house and the plantation, she took him out in the yard and she showed him a massive oak tree that had been destroyed by the Union artillery. They shot massive cannon rounds toward it. The branches of the tree had been broken out. The bough of the tree had been split. The tree was just a simple picture of the glory of what it used to be. And that woman, that Confederate woman, was so bitter about what the Union Army had done to her tree, she took the general out there to see it. And she said to him, What must be done for my tree? And Robert E. Lee looked at that woman and he said, Ma'am, cut it down. Cut it down. You're going to let that stuff bother you for the rest of your life? You're going to let that one thing bother you? Things that you've been bitter about, things that you've been unforgiving about for years and years and years, you're going to let that bother you until you finally stand at the judgment seat of Christ and realize you held on to your one thing and it cost you more than you wanted to pay. One thing. When I read this story, I, I can sum it up 
verse 17, verse 18, verse 21 very simply. Did you notice with me in verse 17 there is one sinful man? Notice with me verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. That's one sinful man. That's the rich young ruler. Did you see that? I underscored the word one in verse 17. Now look down at verse number 18. In verse 17, there's one sinful man, but in verse number 18, there's one good God. The Bible says in verse number 18, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And then notice in verse number 21, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said, One thing thou lackest. On one end of this story, you have one sinful man. On the other end of this story, you have one good God. You know what is standing between that one sinful man and that one good God? One thing. One thing. What is yours tonight? If I stood here and I started listing all the things that I think is wrong with me and listing all the things that I think is wrong with you, truth be told, I know what's wrong with me, but I don't know what's wrong with you. So let's let the Holy Ghost do that. What's your one thing tonight? Will you stand, please? Again, I, uh, through the course of the afternoon and especially the morning, I had other things on my mind that I would bring to the church. I, I had some things that I wanted.